after a certain point, what what's interesting in referral is not just that it brings in new customers who are higher quality because they come in predisposed to loving and trusting the brand, but you get this incredible data set as to what's happening under the business. And effectively, you get a, a an image of of these referral networks that are existing under every single business. And they are things of beauty. They are like, they sprawl far and wide. Uh, I was looking at one the other day, which was um, uh, one customer who spent uh, $216 on a um, luxury fashion uh, website, kicked off a referral network that ended up being worth $430,000. Welcome to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'm your host, Mark Slayton, and I'm so glad you're here. I empower leaders to turn indifferent customers into loyal fans. I talk to guests with a wide range of expertise who share meaningful insights and wisdom. Once again, I don't know why it keeps happening, but we keep going to the UK, and we've been in other countries in, in Europe, but UK seems to be more popular. Um, I think I've done had more guests from the UK than from like west of the Appalachian Mountains here on the <laughs> east coast of, of the US, and I'm, I'm from Delaware. So um, it tells you something about where thought leadership in customer experience is coming from. Uh, but I'm so excited to have my guest who I first learned about in an earlier podcast episode I had with Fred Reicheld, uh, who was co-inventor of the Net Promoter System and wrote The Loyalty Effect, and most people listening to this would already know about. And, and Fred wrote this book called Winning on Purpose. In it, he talked about the earned growth model, which is a model of really talking about the health of your customer base as it relates to the loyalty of your customer base and the extent uh, folks are willing to give referrals. And we haven't really done a great job of both measuring that, tracking that, and figuring out a way to spurn people to who were willing to give referrals, a way to give them referrals. So I am so excited today because I have on, on the show Andy Cockburn, who's the CEO and co-founder of Mention me, a customer advocacy platform empowering brands to turn fans into a powerful growth driver. And he scheduled this to have over now 120 what he calls advocacy experts. Love that term. Love it, love it, love it. Um, and work with you know over 500 clients, including Puma, Charlotte Tilbury, Michael Kors, and other major brands worldwide. He has uh, he was managing director of Verbo, which I'm sure you all know about. Uh, of the Airbnb ilk, uh, the world's largest marketplace for vacation rentals, and uh, and was formerly the founder of uh, and CEO of Wigadoo, a technology startup in the social payment space. He also want to mention has an MBA and an MA from Cambridge University. So quite a background. Andy, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. I'm delighted to be here. And Andy, could you tell us, um, there's no uh, common path for people to get to where they are in the, in the CX world. Tell us a little bit about what your path was and how it is you got to doing what you're doing now. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, I guess I find myself in the CX world kind of indirectly because I've kind of come at, come at it from the angle of, I really want to help brands realize the value of customer experience by driving customers to become advocates. And that, 
and that kind of has born, been born out through my career. So I started life as a, a, a strategy consultant at Bain & Co. just at the time when Fred Reichelt was coming up with Net Promoter Score. So was running some of the early projects on how to to get value from Net Promoter Score. Um, and then, then got into the um, kind of tech startup world with my first startup in, in group payments, um, which is a lot about psychology and getting customers to come together. Um, and then had this formative experience at uh, Verbo, where I ran the UK and the Ireland business um, through um, through when Verbo IPO'd, and th that was really formative because uh, it's a, a fabulous business. It was leading the way in vacation rentals before Airbnb was um, was around. And when we surveyed customers and asked them um, how they found out about us, about sixty percent said they were coming in on the back of a recommendation. So from mm. CX, well, yeah. you, know, you are you are nailing it when sixty percent of your customers are coming in on the back of a recommendation. But as someone who is running the business, there's literally nothing you can do with that stat. You can be, you can sit back and be happy about it, but you can't actually do anything. So on the back of that, we um, myself and my now co-founder uh, mentioned me spent a couple of years playing with a couple of the brands trying to see how we could take control of referral and advocacy. And we had 18 brands around the world, all of whom had stats like that, and all of whom had some form of referral program, but they were all really underwhelming. So we spent a couple of years trying to maximize um, two of the referral programs and managed to turn them into an incremental 20% of growth. Um, and that was really valuable in the year of an IPO. And and that made us realize that there's just this huge opportunity um, to to help businesses solve this, get customers out there spreading the word, and that but that it's a big opportunity and it's hard. It's harder than it seems, and that's what made us want to set up Mention Me because we felt it was a meaty problem that needed solving in the wider world. Yeah, yeah, clearly it was. Um, and so you, I was just going to ask you what you saw the white space, but you just described the white space there was that there were uh, really an underserved and the folks that were out there really weren't doing it very well. Yeah, it's, I mean, so we started um, fixated on referral. Like, how do you get people to go through a tracked referral program? Um, over the course of mentioned me, we've really um, grown because we've seen so much data coming through that we can see a much bigger picture as how do you solve more broadly for advocacy? I can, I can talk more more to that later but the on the referral piece what was really interesting is it is not difficult to spin up some technology that allows you to run an incentivized referral program and there are lots of um widgets that do it but the challenge in referral comes down to the fact that it's um an interaction between two people and in that interaction it's a really interesting and quite complex social psychology so you mm -hmm. probably will this will resonate with you um, when you've had this experience of when you are thinking about sharing something with a friend, like you're running calculations at a million miles an hour through your brain around, okay, like what are they going to think of me for this? Like, and ultimately it always comes down to social psychology as to whether someone will share or not. And the first question is, is there any social risk? So if there's any chance their friend will judge you negatively, that your friend will judge you negatively you're not going to risk your your reputation or your friendship for sharing something that um might disappoint that or that might come across as strange to your friend um but if you can clear that hurdle of social risk then it all comes down to social capital so will you end up looking good in front of your friend will you enhance your relationship with your friend for sharing and if you feel like you will, either because sometimes there's a bit of brand cachet, a bit of coolness attached to the brand that you think will rub off, 
Um, sometimes it's because you know your friend has a problem that you can solve. And very often it's just because you've had a great customer experience and you want your friend to benefit from that customer experience. When that happens, then you really get referrals to take off. And so our whole um, starting hypothesis with MentionMe was if you can solve that psychology using sophisticated testing and segmentation to set the right message to the right customer at the right time, can you drive referral to be a meaningful um, growth driver for businesses? And and through a lot of testing, experimentation, and optimization, we like we would determine we absolutely can. So tell me about the cycle. Like how I go to a great restaurant. I don't know if you're in hospitality at all, yeah. <laughs> but everybody likes to use restaurants as the case yeah. study uh, because uh, it is a great uh, laboratory for CX, right? And 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 I go and I have a great meal. Where where do you begin to interact? Where does mention me interact? Yeah, so I, um, we do work in hospitality, but it's probably easier to use a pure play online example just to explain it. And then I can talk to some of the sure. nuances around hospitality. Sure. So typically, you're looking to ask customers to refer you at a point of delight. And most businesses can think around their customer journey and identify where the greatest points of delight are. And actually, one one point of delight that is often underappreciated is after someone has bought from you. So even in an online retailer where you haven't yet got the goods or services, mm. if someone has decided they're happy enough to spend money with you, they're normally pretty happy and they're quite excited about whatever they're going to get from you. And so asking people to refer you uh, at that point makes sense. You know, it's all, it can also be good after someone has received the goods or service, um, after they after you predict that they would have got value from their goods and services um but you're trying to get to them uh, in a way that you can get their attention and you know that they're happy so and andy point, andy can i can i just yeah. double double tap on something you just said because sure. it's it's interesting to me and also a bit counterintuitive to think that right after purchase in the customer life cycle that i would want to get a referral but i guess you discovered something about that particular point in the life cycle that either makes them inclined to be willing to give a referral is that what it is yeah it's i mean we kind of call it the honeymoon effect someone has ah. done enough research and and got, convinced themselves that you are the right place to buy whatever they are buying from you and um and if they've done that then they are um they're almost looking to validate their own decision by sharing it with other people now there are some there are some categories where it, it's harder, like they want more proof before they are willing to share. And so post-payment can be great if someone's coming back for a second or third purchase, but it probably doesn't work on that first purchase. But there are very many where actually it works even before the customer has had the full experience of the product or service, which you know surprised us when we set the business up. It surprises many of our clients, but we, we found to be true in most cases. Now, one of the things, so that's, that's helpful. And that makes, that makes, that bridges a gap for, in my mind about why you would do that. It's really fascinating though. And so, um, so, right. So how in this yeah, cycle so, do we begin so, to do this? <laughs> and so at that point, say we take the post-purchase example, yeah. um, in the online journey, we'll display something on the screen that asks someone to share with their friend. Um, what you put in front of that customer is really, really important. So like, um, it's very easy to put up a vanilla message, but effectively we're trying to work out um, what is likely to motivate that customer to want to share. And so 
we typically do that for um, different messages for different segments based on what we think their interests will be. We're thinking about what the message is that, that will resonate with their friend, and we're learning from what people are saying to their friends in other um, in other sharing messages to optimize that. Um, and then normally there's some form of incentive, and the incentive is there not because it's ever ever big enough to make someone share who wouldn't want to share in the first place because the social components kick in, but just because it makes it easier to have the conversation. And typically it's an incentive on both sides because otherwise it looks like you're being nice to new customers, but not to existing customers who are helping you grow. And so something to kind of, we, we consider it kind of the oil in the machine to, to make referrals flow, but it's never a big enough, it's not the key to turn the machine on in the first place. So um, I'm sure you give a lot of thought into what those incentives are and how you just even how you distribute them. Yeah. What what are some examples of and do they differ depending on the product or service? They they differ a huge amount, and part of our job is to experiment to see what works for different um, categories and different customer segments within businesses. The rough rule of thumb is. If a client loves you enough to refer your brands, they probably want more of what you have to offer. Um, and so that may mean a discount off a, another purchase. If you're a retailer, it may mean free products. Um, like we have some cycling brands who give free gloves or free gilets, um, and that just really fits well, and and, and it works really well to, to make get people more of the product because they are so addicted to that cycling brand. Um, in some cases, that just doesn't make sense. So we work with some insurers or energy companies where money off just doesn't work until you end up with third-party vouchers, um, so Amazon vouchers and the like. And they're generally a voucher that is um, has ubiquitous appeal, is uh, but also fits the brand is, is the one that tends to make sense. But people often fixate on the incentives, and like I cannot overstate how the incentive is a very small component of this that really isn't the driver. It, like the things that, we're, as we're testing and optimizing, the things that make the biggest difference are like how you present the like the referral program, how you're asking someone. Even like we've run lots of tests on this, but um, even whether you position that you are giving something, they they're going to be giving something to their friend, or they're going to be getting something for themselves. You see like a difference of 50% in conversion rates based on that. Uh, and that's very hard to predict. It's very different by brand. But it, like the psychology that you, like someone feels when they land on that message, like determines whether they are going to share. And it's very small differences make very big differences in conversion rates. So, so interesting. And I want to talk, obviously you're doing research and you're getting uh, intelligence about what moves people, what motivates people. But you also have done a lot of work on, on, Getting getting a database more broadly speaking, talk to us about kind of high level how you went about that and what the value that would bring to customer a potential customer willing to or interested in working with mention me. Yeah, so I, I guess what I've talked about so far is how we set the business up and how how we work to optimize referral. After a certain point, what what's interesting in referral is not just that it brings in new customers who are higher quality because they come in predisposed to loving and trusting the brand but you get this incredible data set as to what's happening under the business and um and effectively you get a, a an image of um of a like of these referral networks that are existing under every single business and they are things of beauty they are like they sprawl far and wide 
I was looking at one the other day, which was um, uh, one customer who spent uh, $216 on a um, luxury fashion um, website, kicked off a referral network that ended up being worth $430,000. And and you can just see it sprawling. And when you see these, it, it reveals so much about what's going on. You see some customers who we call dandelion customers, where one person refers four or five people. You see some that are micro-influencers, where there is where they're referring potentially hundreds of people. Um, you see very long, thin chains. And when you see a long, thin chain within, chain within a referral network, you know something is going really right because that's kind of the definition of customer love. If every customer is happy enough, happy to refer one other customer, then ultimately you end up with fantastic compounding growth within the business. And the other thing that's interesting about these referral networks is that they're not not static. So yes, they look pretty on a on a slide or on a screen, but they're growing all the time. And if you can track where these nodes are continuing to grow or where they're dying out, you can start to manage them. So you can recognize that it looks like this really valuable um, network is slowing down. Let's engage these customers in these ways and ask them to carry on referring and, and play with it in a way that uh, you can actively manage how your customer um, database or your customer base is growing from advocacy and referrals and see it happening almost in real time. So let me just back up on one thing you said, because I think this is fascinating. But after Dandelion, you said there was another type, and I missed the word. Um, after the, uh, Oh, so there's the Dandelion customers. There's the micro-influencers, micro which micro. are customers who you wouldn't necessarily identify as being an influencer. But, you, um, but when you... Um, when when you see them through the eyes of referral, they are referring so many people that it is more than standard referral. And often that's because they're in the right groups, like either in social media or um, to go back to the cycling analogy, we've got lots of um, customers within our cycling clients who are in cycling sports clubs. <laughs> and so they're sharing them there and they can easily get, you know, 10 or 20 referrals. Um, and once you see this, you can start having conversations with them and, and start to, trying to understand, like, well, what are you saying? Why are you sharing? What's going on? And once you understand that, then you can look to further optimize referral um, and segment so that you're saving the right message to the right customer that, that really taps into how people are feeling about the brand as they're thinking about sharing. Okay. So I have uh, both dandelions and micro-influencers on my front lawn. Uh, this spring, I will be buying some weed killer for this. <laughs> Most of, I think, more micro-influencers because it's spreading quicker. Um, <laughs> but uh, just for those of you who are watching, you'll notice that Andy's brought up an image on the screen. And um, if you, I realize most people will be listening to this podcast, would encourage you to go back. I'll be posting this on the YouTube channel if you want to see the visuals as well. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, what, what it is you're sharing here? Yeah, well, so this is exactly that example. It's one of those referral networks where, um, and this is literally the example I just talked to you about a customer yeah. who spent $216 um, who kicked off this incredible network. But this is this is when you get this data, it changes the way you think about your business. It also changes the way you think about the value of a customer. And so one of the things that we've realized over the last few years is that the way that businesses think about customers at the moment is way too one-dimensional. Mm. Like most businesses consider a customer only from the perspective of their wallet. 
the, the core metric that um, businesses are encouraged to think about these days is lifetime value, which is effectively how much the customer spends up to now, how much we think they will spend in the future, often with a margin applied to it. But the reality is the value of a customer is so much more than that. The value of a customer is not only what they spend, it's also everything they do outside to go and talk to their friends, encourage customers to come and buy. And once you layer in some of, uh, once you layer in the advocacy value, you just get a really different view as to who your most valuable customers are. And um, like a good example of this um, we have from uh, an an online business to work with, or a, a, a Europe's now Europe's largest florist, a company called Bloom and Wild, where um, a customer we were looking at spent um, eighty-four dollars in their first year, um, and as such, when you look at her from an LTV perspective, is not very interesting. She's in the lower quartile of LTV customers, right? But that's the one-dimensional view. When you take the the rounder view and consider her broader value yes she spent 84 dollars and made three purchases but in the first year that she was a customer she also introduced four customers and those four customers um uh, actually spent closer to 1500 dollars. and so the value she delivered to the brand actually wasn't through her purchases the value that she delivered to her brand was through her advocacy um and unless you're taking this view you totally miss that and those four those four purchases didn't finish there. That went on to kick off a referral network that was cl worth closer to $5,000. And so suddenly you have a much more complete view of this customer. And it leads you to ask, ask some really interesting questions. And this example is particularly interesting because she bought three times in the first year. She referred four times in the first year. And then she churned. She left the business. Mm. And that was a huge, huge lost opportunity for this business. Mm. Um, like she brought in $1,500 in the first year and if they're a flowers business, they could have sent their flowers every single month to keep her yeah. happy. Yeah. Um, and, and they would have got a great ROI on it. So when you think about it from a customer experience perspective, when you get this data, it leads you to fundamentally different, um, a fundamentally different view as to how you should invest in customer experience to make sure you're delighting customers so that you get the value of advocacy and it makes it far far easier to justify investing in customer experience if you have the data and you can say i know these customers are hugely hugely valuable even though they're not spending very much with us and so i'm willing to you know um either send them things that surprise and delight them or put them top of the queue when they call the call center so that they get the best possible customer experience because I understand that their value is in their advocacy, not in their spend. So I, I've got goosebumps right now. Um, I want to, I want to, I want to just comment on something and then ask you a question. So in, in the course I teach and you and I have talked about this, I, I'm teaching customer relationship management um, and it's not about salesforce.com uh, pipeline management, contact management. It really is about, how do we manage, nurture, and enhance the relationships we have with customers throughout their life cycle? The focus of my course is from purchase through advocacy. You mentioned the word advocacy. So it's purchase, service, loyalty, and then advocacy. And the point I want to make just affirms what you're saying is an advocacy is a whole different world because when they're advocates, right, You're and you mentioned it quickly, and I want to press into this a little bit more because there's so much pressure on CX leaders to prove the ROI of CX, 
right? And we've got something here we're talking about that um, does this in spades. And when you get a referral customer, and you mentioned this quickly, so I want to just kind of slow yeah. us down on this one. They tend to be, those customers not only come into the business, they tend to uh, be more loyal themselves. So they tend to have longer retention rates. They tend to buy more share of wallet. They tend to be less price finicky and sensitive, and they tend to be more open. I'm going to add one more. They're open to trying new products, and they tend to be more forgiving. Just just expand on that a minute, because I think this is central to what we're talking about here. Yeah, I mean, the... The difference in value that you see from customers who engage with referral actually on both sides of referral compared to customers that don't is phenomenal. So for when referred customers come in, uh, just by the nature of the way they were introduced to the brand, they come in predisposed to liking and trusting the brand. Like the conversion rate is through the roof compared to customers who come in through other marketing channels. Um, they will typically spend more on their first um, purchase or order. Uh, often that's about 20% more just on the first order. Then when they, from a lifetime value perspective, they typically have up to double the lifetime value of other non-referred customers. So you're bringing in a much, much higher quality customer when it come, comes from advocacy and referral. But you also have the other side of it where someone is referring, they typically end up spending more. It's, a, it's another major touch point where they're getting social validation that they're buying from a brand that they should be buying from. So they, they, they spend a lot more um, and they stick around longer. And actually, um, when you look at the difference in value between, so we call this view extended customer revenue, where you look at not just what someone has spent, but the value of their first generation of referrals that they've delivered. And that extended customer revenue is a really interesting number. If you look at that compared to individual customer revenue, i.e. just what someone spends who hasn't referred, on average, it's about ECR is about three times higher than ICR in the first 180 days after someone has joined the com has bought from the company for the first time. And so you end up with referrers um, being very, very valuable from an ECR perspective. And... Um, and actually, that can be a healthier way of thinking about it, particularly if you're a, if you're managing customer experience. Rather than thinking about the value of the new customer, think about it as the value that the referrer has introduced to the business and how you can optimize for that because what, that's where the customer experience needs to be exceptional. And you need to make sure that these really high-value customers who are bringing in, in, in new referred customers are getting the CX that they deserve so that you are actively managing it. And... ECR is very, very powerful for segmentation, like to, to understand who your most valuable customers are and to make sure that they continue to stay with you and spend with you and advocate is where you can unlock huge value uh, through customer experience. So this is really a, a smarter, wiser, more cost-effective approach to managing your customers is, you know, think about who your most valuable customers are, like, and this can help define those and then you know get make that experience outstanding yeah. right and give them what you know what it is they want i have a question around this though because um we're talking about uh, all the intelligence and the information that we that you shared earlier about what we can learn about this customer base 
one thing you, I didn't hear you mention, and, and I want to ask you about this, is going back to thinking about it from a re reverse engineering standpoint, would I get information that would help me say, we need, we need to design the experience differently? Um, that and, and because what we're learning from this data, so not just um, you know, getting uh, encouraging people to refer their friends, but saying, hey, look, when we go back, we want more of these type of people. So we might want to rethink how we're designing the experience. Yeah, there's two, um, I guess there's, I can answer that question on two levels. Yeah. The first is um, at the highest level, like, we still believe that net promoter score is the most valuable way to understand like whether you are doing a good job from a customer experience perspective. One of the challenges with uh, NPS is that when you try and look at um, relative value of customers um, and align them to NPS scores, you don't always get a huge differential between um, promoters and detractors in a way that can be really tough for CX professionals to then build business cases. But when you layer in the value of referral, you get a much bigger differential. And so um, there was one footwear brand um, we were looking at where when you looked at the um, LTV that was coming in from a ref uh, someone who's scoring a 9 or 10 versus someone who was scoring 1 to 6 on MPS, the difference was about 31%, which is, you know, a difference, but not not that stark. Whereas when you led in the referral value on top of the LTV, the difference was 71% between mm. promoters and detractors. Mm. And so, and that's a real number. It's hard, it's hard data about the advocacy that's coming in and the new business that's coming in. And that makes it way easier to justify investing in CX to, um, to optimize for, for promoters. So that's kind of the higher level answer to your question. The lower level answer in terms of like, what should you do differently? As soon as you are tracking referrals so that you know what's going on, you can start having the conversation. So I talked about the referral networks. The primary thing we do with those referral networks is use them to work out to which customers should we talk to to understand what's going on. Um, and I was um, having a conversation with a client this morning who's just done that. And the insight they got from those customers um, around what they need to do to unblock referral to remove some of those social risks that's stopping customers from sharing in the first place but also to maximize the overall customer experience that they're receiving for the brand so that they'd be more willing to make more referrals was was liquid gold <laughs> it's, it's so so powerful and so once you get the data to know who to talk to that's how you unlock that how you optimize the customer experience more broadly um there are some great examples of things that our clients have tried um and and that i still believe there's a very strong case for surprise and delight for your most valuable customers so for high ecr customers to to say a big thank you for being an advocate for the brand and make them realize that you appreciate them being an advocate of your brand surprise and delight can be very effective and there was my favorite example um from one of our clients is it was a pet insurance company and uh, if someone made three referrals, uh, they sent them a tin of dog treats with their dog's face and name on the dog treats um, <laughs> because because they knew the kind of dog that they would have because that was in the insurance details. And you can imagine how that landed. I mean, it went crazy on social media. Customers that received it 
both stuck around for longer but continued to advocate advocate for the following year because they were so personally ve- like vested in the company on the back of um, a wonderful surprise and delight moment. And once you have this data, it makes it much easier to build business cases to do things like that. It's a really good lesson learned here, and you've hit it now several different ways, but as, C- as CX leaders, it may seem counterintuitive. I did a um, podcast uh, probably a year ago now with Dr. Peter Fader from the Wharton School, and it was called Don't Treat All Customers the Same. And it sounds, I remember putting a, a, a LinkedIn post about I got a lot of flack, I got a lot of feedback. Wait a minute, you should treat all customers great, you know? <laughs> and the truth is, well, you could do that, but it's not good business to do that because it, it really is, you know, he, he used the example of overgeneralizing, but saying the 80-20 rule that, you know, only 20% of your customers account for 80% of your profits. And so it's really important to know who those customers are. And in this case, um, you know, what their behaviors are, what their interests are, what motivates them and how to encourage them to give referrals. Right. Yeah. I, that, that's totally right. I've had some very interesting conversations with this, especially actually with um, a really interesting conversation with one of the biggest retailers in the U S who were arguing you should treat all customers the same. Mm. And, um, and it was almost a tenet of their philosophy. I think the problem comes like, not all customers treat you the same. And mm. so if you're, if you're not responding to them in the way that they are treating you, then like it's almost an in, inverse form of injustice. <laughs> like it, you know, Abby here, uh, at Boomer Wild, who did that, he referred the four friends. She, she did something amazing for this business. Um, and so for this business not to reach out and to properly thank her and to say, you know what, you are, you're an insider with us now and we, like, we really are grateful. That's what she wants. There are plenty of other customers who don't want that, but she really wants to be an insider with this brand. And when she right. doesn't receive that recognition and that thanks and, uh, and the opportunity is missed to bring her as an insider, then she runs away. Um, and that that just feels like such a missed opportunity from a relationship perspective on both sides, from a value perspective from the business. And, and I think that's the fundamental flaw with the you should treat all customers the same way. Like you should treat customers as they deserve to be treated. And some customers are really doing amazing things for you. And it's it's just wrong not to recognize that. And I want to compliment you on this graphic because um and, and those of you who who uh are listening, please go back and uh, and watch this because this is a fantastic graphic and I'm a visual person, visual learner. So this is a great way to show the illustration of really how extended customer revenue is a game changer when it comes to thinking about how to how to um, accelerate business growth. Yeah, I, I mean, it's one like... Um, we started working with clients on extended customer revenue a couple of years ago, and it is wonderful watching the DNA change in a business once they start to fully adopt this and realize that they can unlock so much more potential from advocacy if they fixate on this rather than LTV. And, and even for things like making decisions on what's working in the business, so going into new markets or launching new products, if you launch a new product and look at the spend profile over the first three months, you get that one dimensional view, but typically that is how businesses think about 
like product launches today. Whereas if you get the same spend profile for two products, but one of them goes crazy on advocacy and the other one does nothing on advocacy, clearly it has a lot more value to the business. And so when you get that data, you make different business decisions um, that are much, much more informed that will lead to far better organic growth over time. Excellent stuff, Andy. Um, I am really curious with as far as you've come in this in relatively short period of time, what is on your roadmap next? Yeah, so I mean, as as with everyone else, we're now very excited about AI and machine learning. And so um, we've been putting that to good use over the last year. So we can now, I talked about how timing was important as to when you ask the customer, we can now formula view as to each customer's propensity to refer at any given point in the journey um, which is fabulous for you know making sure that you're asking people who are ready to refer but you're not asking people who aren't and that for those that aren't you're trying to figure out how you can engage them so they're more likely to become advocates in the future we also put um, machine learning behind um, extended customer revenue so we have predicted extended customer revenue 12 months out which is incredibly valuable for segmentation so you know those high ECR customers are hugely, hugely valuable, like 10 to 15 times more valuable than the average customer. Uh, like, um, and we can spot the ones that are probably going to lapse in the next 12 months. So you mm. know, that, is the, that is the gold that you need to save if you are in a CX or a CRM or a customer leader role. Um, and so using that to inform segmentation is, is critical. And what we're working on over the next 12 months is trying to understand where each individual customer is in the advocacy journey um, and understanding what it will take to help them go on that journey to become an advocate over time um, and uh, and then helping to foster that because ultimately where we want to get to is where customers are treated so well when they become an advocate for a brand because businesses understand the value of it that they understand like they are more disposed to go and advocate on behalf of the brand because they understand the reciprocal nature of it um, and the customers end up having better relationships with businesses and businesses end up relying more on customers for growth than paid paid marketing for growth because that is how the best businesses grow. And if you end up there, then you end up with the best businesses winning with better economics, better growth, happier customers. Um, and that's, you know, ultimately improving how the world works. Yeah, very nice. Um, and it makes perfect sense. And um and that's exciting. It's an exciting time. And I'm sure you guys are, are wrapping your heads around how you can best leverage generative AI and, and new technology to ha- make this thing even more powerful. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's an amazing space to be working in. We feel very fortunate. Um, is there a... So I, you you and I had a conversation right now. You're in the B2C space. Um, is there an ideal sweet spot for you in terms of Customers, and, and one question that I think always comes to mind is, when is a customer too small? Because you, you might be talking about a, I don't know, 500-person insurance company or a, well, or a retail grocer or, yeah. So so when, what what are you thinking? What, what what's yeah. the... So, so where, uh, where we are best suited to help is um, we need a certain scale because of what everything we're doing with the data. And so we typically work with businesses that are north of $25 million in revenue and that are B2C. B2B is like advocacy of B2B is fascinating. It's just very different. And so we fixated yeah. on B2C for the time being. Yeah, no, I, I totally get it. Um, what did I, what did I miss if anything that you wanted to hit? 
Yeah, I think um, maybe the only other thing is you alluded to it at the beginning, but um, we're, uh, we're very aligned to Fred Reichel's thinking on earned growth. So I, um, for us, earned growth is the best North Star metric for a business to understand how well it is growing on the back of delighting customers. And so we bought and we um, pulled earned growth into the platform so we can calculate it for all of our clients. And earned growth basically is made up of two two parts, um, which roughly equate to one of Fred's favorite sayings, which is um, the only way to grow a business is to get customers coming back for more and telling their friends. And so the equation is the coming back for more piece is net revenue retention. So how much revenue are you getting from customers who were with you this time last year and telling their friends is how much are you getting from word of mouth Fred calculates it rather than through tracked referral through a survey, asking customers um, whether they were recommended by a friend. But when you get that number, it is incredibly insightful as to how well you're doing as a business um, in terms of growing on the back of your customers and delighting your customers. And so I would really strongly urge businesses to think about that. It effectively, effectively gives you your resting growth rate, that like how fast you would grow if you didn't spend any money on sales and marketing. And optimizing that number ultimately optimizes the entire efficiency of a business because the more earned growth you get the more efficient you are the better your um ltv to cac ratio the more the higher your valuation that's the the real path to long-term success so we always start with that and then get into the customer level ecr data so if i am um not quite at 25 million dollars in revenue just yet uh, what tips would you have for an organization? Would it, you know what comes to mind for me is harnessing the different gates that people come to our business and and capturing how they're coming, like tracking how they came to us. It sounds very simple, but sometimes it's hard to do, or people really haven't haven't created a strategy around that. Is that is that right thinking? Yeah, I, I think um, there's two there's two sides to it. So if you um, I would recommend, especially if you're a small business, earned growth is almost more important if you're a small business than if you're a big business, because you're still um, you're you're setting yourself up in the right way to grow organically, and um, and if you know the percentage of growth that is coming from recommendations, you can still make decisions to try and move that number, even if you're not doing it at an individual customer uh, level. What if you want to start getting into referral when you're smaller? There are plenty of small kind of referral widgets like as part of the Shopify or Klaviyo um, world where if you're an online business you can pretty easily plug in um, and just start by testing and, and playing with what you think will work start to get some data and then once you identify customers who are referring talk to them and this is the thing that businesses that have online components are often very poor at it's really really worth talking to customers to understand like how they're feeling and what's going on and what would make them refer more because that's Ultimately, you've got to go on a journey to optimize uh, what makes people feel good about referring your business. Yeah, well, well excellent stuff. Um, just so important, and uh, I think you are totally onto something here. I can't wait to hear and learn more about how Mention Me grows and develops. Uh, before I let you go, I, I want to ask a question that I ask uh, all of my um my guess, which is, what advice would you give to your 20-year-old self? Uh, I do love that question. Um, <laughs> my, the advice I would give to myself would be 
don't spend time working on small problems. <laughs> I think it is very easy uh, to like get caught up in a problem, but if you in any problem that you're working on, but it's very easy to waste a lot of time working on the small things. And whether that is the choice of career, if like if you're going into a business, make sure that the business, the problem that the business is solving is a big problem. If you're setting up a business, make sure you're solving a big problem because everything is a heck of a lot easier if you're solving a big problem for a client. Um, and even when you're running a business, like it's, there are there are always challenges when you're um, running businesses. But make sure you're spending your time on the big stuff. And I think. Uh, if I'd wasted less time on the small stuff, like I would have had more time, more time on the big stuff, or more time to have fun. Excellent, great advice. I have not heard that one before, but it makes perfect sense. Andy, thanks so much for sharing your knowledge and sharing what you're doing with Mention Me. It is great stuff. I really appreciate you being on the show. No, oh, it's an absolute pleasure. I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks for listening to the Delighted Customers Podcast. I'd like to ask you a favor. If you have enjoyed this episode or any of my other ones, hit subscribe or follow. I've got a lot of other great guests that are coming up and a lot of other great content, and I don't want you to miss anything. You can find any links or references on the show in the show notes, and you can find those on my website at empoweredcx.com.